0: If you'll join me, our, our, our text this morning for our sermon, as well as our reading, will be from Hebrews chapter number 5. Hebrews chapter number 5, if you would like to join me there. We'll begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read down to verse number 10. Hebrews 5, verse 1 through verse 10. The scripture says, For every high priest is chosen from among men and is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up, him, offered up prayers The title of this morning's message is Jesus Christ, a Better High Priest. And you see as we go throughout this passage that the high, high priest or the priestly role is central to what the author of Hebrews is dealing with. And for most of us who have um, lived in a, in a um, church or grown up in a church that is Protestant in nature... And um, we don't have a, a strong connection with the idea of a priest, and we don't go to a priest who intercedes for us on, on, uh, intercedes on our behalf to communicate with God or to hear a message from God and deliver it to us. And therefore we don't understand it p- perhaps as well as uh, some of the audience in this passage of scripture would have understood it. Um, the, the, the original audience that the writer writes to has a very strong understanding of the priestly role. They're not confused about what a priest did and how a priest interceded on the behalf of the people in relation to God. But for us, it is something that is confusing. It is something that is uh, sometimes concerning and and perhaps just met with, with confusion in relation to that intercessory role. Um, Because we don't utilize that, we don't practice that today. And there's a reason why we don't practice that today. It's not because that mediatorial role is not being performed, but it's because that mediating role is being performed by Jesus Christ. He is the priest that mediates on our behalf. But just to give you an idea of what the priestly role looks like in the Old Testament, um, and also in in the Gospels as well, The priests were were men who were chosen and set apart by God for the specific purpose of mediating between um, the people, the the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, and God. Um, This is a practice. Many of us associate this practice with the Jewish people, but this practice actually preceded the Jewish people, and we know um, biblically that it goes back at least... Hebrews chapter number 14, where we're taught, taught about the uh, priesthood of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was kind of the first priest that we're, we see mentioned in, in the scriptures. And, and obviously, when we get to the Jewish people or the Hebrew people leaving Egypt, the Lord establishes the priesthood and He establishes it under the um, tribe of Levi. And the first priest that we really have a a great reference to in the scriptures is that of Aaron and the Aaronic priesthood. And uh, we see this practice of the priest being talked about much for most of the uh, Pentateuch writings, the first five books of the Bible, the books of the law, and four of those books beginning in Exodus and going to Deuteronomy deal greatly with this idea of the priesthood or that person um, of the tribe of Levi, um, beginning with Aaron and his sons, would stand in the place of the people and would then communicate to God on behalf of the people. And, and as we'll see in a few moments, that he offered sacrifices and offerings to to him as well. So we want to remember that the, the primary role of a priest, and again, this was a group of men who were set apart by God. It was a sacrificial role. They weren't given given the same land. They weren't given the same inheritance as the rest of the tribes of Israel were given because they were set apart specifically by God to to be his. In other words, they were a special group of men, group of people who were set apart by God to mediate on behalf of, of the people. And ultimately, their their mediation is related to two things. It's related, number one, to restoring favor or to restoring peace with God, and number two, to dealing with the, the problems or the sins of the people. In other words, there's much to be said in the Old Testament about the sacrificial system. The priest would go in, they would make a sacrifice to the Lord on behalf of the people, and they would... Um, then be brought back into favor with God for a season. and There was a seasonal favor with God that was accomplished through the sacrificial system of the the priest in the Old Testament. And and again, it carries into the Gospels as well. Before Christ Jesus dies and is buried and resurrects again, we have that human priest in place. But once that takes place, the book of Hebrews tells us that that human mediation is no longer necessary because now we're all considered priests. In other words, we all have direct access to God and we have that direct access to God through the person of Jesus Christ. I can come to God, I can come to Christ based upon what um, has been done for me in Christ. And I can enter into his presence and I can find help and I can find strength and I no longer have to go through a, a human mediator. And this is why if you just, if you take a moment, and uh, relook at your Bibles, it, this is why if you go back to the, the last verse of chapter four, the last verse of chapter number four, you have, um, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. This verse is really motivating us or pushing us down this path of going to Christ when you have difficulty in life, when you have challenges in life, that you're to go to Christ now to have those difficulties and those challenges met. Whatever difficulty you're facing, whatever spiritual challenge you're facing, you are to go to the Lord Jesus Christ instead of an earthly mediator and you're to find help and you're to find strength, and you're to find guidance and direction in Christ Jesus. He is the fulfillment, if you will, of those Old Testament priests who pointed ultimately to Christ as the fulfillment of those sacrifices and of those gifts. Christ is the fulfillment of those things. And now, because we have Christ living in our hearts, we can now go to Him, we can go to the Father, and we can receive strength, and help in difficult times. We're going we're gonna to take a little break here. And we're going to find out what I have broken. I'm good at breaking things, so. I've always, I've always found this out as well, that when you're in the middle of a speech and something is going wrong, you just stop and you, and you deal with that and then you go back to your speech. Otherwise, it's very, very distracting. So sounds good now? Yeah. All right. Maybe the devil is fighting the sound system. I don't know. Where was I? All right. So we're to go, the, the, the admonition, if you will, of the end of chapter number four is to go to Christ. When you have challenges in life, when you have difficulties in life, when you have um, conflict in your life, you're, you're to go to Christ. He is, the one who can, who, he is the one who can restore that intimacy with God the Father. And what we want to we always be mindful of is that our, our problems in life, although, although often manifested in, in this way, are, are for the most part problems this way usually it's not that we have difficulty with each other, it's that we have, we're not in, in harmony with God in such a way that the difficulties with each other just simply dissipate, right? If I'm in harmony with God, I'm like full of forgiveness, I'm full of grace, I'm full of humility, I'm full of all of these things. And if I'm full of grace and humility and forgiveness, if I'm full of those things, how much problem am I going to have with people? I'm not going to have very many problems with people if I'm full of grace and humility and forgiveness, right? So if I'm full of the Lord, if my my intimacy here is right, then my relationship here will also usually be right as well. And when we're having a lot of problems down here, the book of 1 John really deals with this in a clear way. If we're having problems down here, it's, it's, it's probably because we have a problem here. We're having difficulties here. So the Lord is that, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who is capable of dealing with this issue. Man can deal with this issue, but but only Christ can deal with the struggle that we have with our Heavenly Father. And when we get that relationship proper, we get that relationship right, We we won't have, we'll have, let me say it this way, we'll have less problems with people. Because we're all human, right? So that means we're going to have problems with each other based upon our humanity. James 4 is like where do wars and fightings come from? It comes from people who hold on to things so tightly and won't let go and want to get their own way and want to have everything for themselves. That's where all that comes from. And he tells them let go of things. He says come to me with pure hands. Come to me with empty hands where all this comes from is there's a, there's, 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 there's a problem here that needs to be dealt with. And the only place that we can go to find, again, he says it in the last verse there, he says, the only place that you can go to find mercy. And what is mercy? Mercy is forgiveness. It is, it is God looking down upon man and showing them kindness when what they ultimately deserve is judgment. If we're ever going to find mercy, we're to go to Christ and experience the forgiveness that only Christ can give, and the basis of the forgiveness that Christ gives us is is built around the sacrifice that he he has performed for us. In addition to finding that, that, that forgiveness, right, how many of you need forgiveness today? How many of you did something this morning that you need forgiveness for even today? We, 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 we're, we're humans that are constantly struggling with the flesh and with the struggles, but we know that we can confidently come to Christ and know that we can experience mercy, which is forgiveness, even in those difficult times. Now, as we, were, we were singing the songs. I appreciate Darren and Natalie and the team leading the songs this morning, and there were several that spoke right to what I was thinking about and just the idea that there's no condemnation. We no longer have any condemnation because we're in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 and verse 1. There's no condemnation. If I ask you to raise your hands this morning, how many of you felt condemnation this week? I would imagine if you were honest, you would all raise your hands. Because every one of us has felt condemnation this week. But we haven't felt condemnation from God. We've felt condemnation from each other. We've felt condemnation from other people. This is this, this is what we need. We need to get, we need to get our, our focus and understand that this relationship is what really matters. And then we won't be condemning of other people. We'll be full of forgiveness and kindness and all of those all of those other things. So we're challenged, we're challenged to go to Christ. When you have spiritual difficulties, when you have spiritual challenges. You're to go to Christ. He is the only one who can solve your difficulties and solve your challenges. He's the only one that can pry your fingers open and get that thing that's in there out. I remember the story of a little kid who was in, the, who was in a, a, a china shop and they had, uh, she had this little child had put her hand into a china, a china jar and, and they had got their arm caught into it and the parents did everything that they could to get the arm out of the china jar and that arm was not coming out. They put soap on it. And they just did everything that they could to get this child's arm out of, the, out of this very expensive piece of china. Ultimately, they ended up realizing the only way that we're going to get this child's arm out of this piece of china is by breaking this very, very valuable piece of china. So they broke the valuable piece of china. And what they found is that child had clutched their fist around a penny in their hand and would not let go of that penny because... That penny was so valuable to them, and they broke that very expensive piece of China to get to that penny. And In many ways, that's how we live our lives. We hold on to these things that are insignificant, they're, they're unimportant, they're small, they're minor, and we hold on, and we hold on, and we, we destroy relationships with people, we get in arguments with people, we get in fights with people, why? Because we're holding on to our little pieces. We're holding on to our little pennies, the little things that matter to us but don't really matter to him. And we hold on and we hold on and we hold on and we hold on and we we hold on and we will just not let go. And and, and there's no telling how many things get broken that are actually valuable in the process of us holding on to something that's insignificant and minor. What do we do when we face those things? We go to Christ. Christ. Christ is the one who can bring deliverance. Christ is the one that can get you to let go. Christ is the one who can set you free from yourself. Christ is the only one who can forgive you and, he says at the end of this verse, show you grace, which is strength. It's not just that he forgives you of your your failures, but he gives you strength to be victorious over them. He doesn't just leave you in them. Christ forgives you of your sins past, present, and future. He forgives you completely. You can never be out of favor with God based upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't just forgive you. He equips you with the strength to win in life. He equips you with the strength to be different. But who does that? Jesus does that. He is the only one who is capable of giving us that strength. He is the only mediator that can stand between us and God and guarantee, and guarantee that when you walk away from that moment, you will be forgiven and you will be experiencing strength. It's guaranteed. In, in the Old Testament, when those priests made sacrifices, there was no guarantee. The reality of it was if that priest went into that, into that place, the Holy of Holies, or into the place of sacrifice, and, made it, and brought with him an unacceptable sacrifice, he wasn't even guaranteed that he would live. But that is not true for our Lord and Savior. He is guaranteeing us that when we come into his presence, when we come to him, he is guaranteeing us forgiveness. He is guaranteeing us strength to, to change, to be what he wants us to be. First Timothy 2 and verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. And who is it? It is the man Christ Jesus. So that's a little bit of a background. Chapter number 5 where we're going to start this morning down to verse number chapter number 10 down to chapter number 10. We're not going to cover all that today. But literally the next several weeks what we're going to look at is why is Christ worthy? Why is he capable? Why Why should I go to him in the the most difficult of times? Why is he capable of fixing my problems? Why is he capable of restoring my relationship with God? Why is Jesus Christ worthy for me to go to him? The reality that we're going to face in answering this question over the next several weeks, what we're going to face is, first of all, we're going to have to answer the question, is he really worthy for me to go to him? It's easy to say it like, oh, yeah, he's worthy for me to go to him. But but, but honestly, to ask yourself the question, is Christ my first option? Is Jesus my first option in whatever I'm dealing with in life? Do I go to him first? We have to answer that question. And the Lord is going to give us six chapters, and and the Bible is full of them, so not just six chapters, but... But six chapters right here to say to you and to me, Jesus Christ is worthy. Jesus Christ is capable. Jesus Christ is able to do what He promises us he will do. So this morning in these ten verses that we've read, I want to focus on just four things, four thoughts for you to consider that are really they're really basic, okay they're really just fundamental. It's almost like if you took Hebrews five to Hebrews 10, you'll find this building escalation of why is Jesus Christ worthy? Why is Jesus Christ? It's almost like he answers the question in chapter number four with six chapters of saying, here's why you should go to Jesus. And and I can stand up here and speak to you about experience because I've experienced Jesus and I can tell you that he is worthy, that he is capable. I've seen things take place in my life that are that are miraculous that God has done. But my testimony isn't isn't sufficient for you. You need to hear it from God himself. So he gives us these chapters, these verses and scriptures to prove to us that Jesus Christ is worthy to enter into the presence of God in heaven, the the heavenly father, and to restore peace, to restore harmony, to restore... um, kindness to restore all of these things, to restore relationships, Jesus Christ is worthy and capable of doing that. So we're going to look at that this morning, um, look at these verses and just unfold them. The first, if you're taking notes, the first thought is the first, um, the first proof, if you will, that Jesus Christ is worthy is based upon a couple of conditions that Jesus Christ met in order to be a priest. And he really goes down really again to the basics here. He's simply going to prove, first of all, that Jesus Christ is worthy based upon two conditions that he met. He says in verse number one, for every high priest is chosen from among men. So the first qualification that Jesus Christ is faced with was and is, was Jesus Christ a man? Was Jesus Christ a man? If Jesus Christ was a man, he meets that first qualification. In other words, it wasn't appropriate for angels to stand on behalf of men and to mediate for men. Um, Angels could not mediate for men. Animals could not mediate for men. Nothing other than mankind himself could mediate for man. So this is a condition that this mediator had to be a man himself so was jesus christ a man according to the word of god and if you take the gospels as a foundation or a basis you will see a number of reasons whether it be his birth whether it be the way that he lived his life, the several needs that he had throughout his life, the fact that he needed to rest on occasion, he needed to eat on occasion, he displays for us in the Gospels a number of different reasons of why the fact that we should embrace that he was, Jesus Christ, was fully man. And again, if Jesus Christ was not fully man, 100% man, it was not he was would not be a worthy mediator for mankind. There would have to be a different mediator. And I'm not going to go into Jesus Christ being fully man and fully God this morning. I'm going to focus on Jesus Christ being fully man, 100% man. So don't walk away confused that we do not believe that Jesus Christ is fully man and fully God. But we're going to focus on his priesthood was based upon his being a man. He had to be a man. The priesthood had to come from among men. For men must represent men. 1 John 4 and verse 2 and 3 tells us this. By this you know the Spirit of God... Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is come in the flesh is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is already in the world. In other words, it's important to know that the one area that the Antichrist is going to attack is the humanity of Jesus Christ. In other words, there is no mediator that is capable of restoring you into, a, into, into harmony with God the Father. There is no one capable of restoring that relationship if the Antichrist or the devil can convince us that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. These things that the devil attacks have to be marched backwards and marched forward so that we know what they're, what they're, what they're going to ultimately accomplish. Was Jesus Christ a man? According to the scriptures, according to the gospels, Jesus Christ was 100% man. He was worthy and capable of standing in our place because he understood us. He knew what we went through. He went through it himself. There's an article out in the late uh, 90s by this man named Lawrence Mekatuek. He is a professor of science at Purdue University. The article was entitled, Does Jesus Exist? Searching for evidence beyond the scriptures. It's not just the word of God that proves Jesus Christ exists, although that's enough for me. I don't need any additional evidence that Jesus Christ exists, but there is evidence that Jesus Christ exists beyond the scriptures. One of the unique things even about false religions is most false religions believe that Jesus Christ existed as a man. Most false religion have some place for Jesus Christ in their historical perspective. Here's this man's conclusion. He says, as a final observation, um, in New Testament scholarship generally, a number of specialists consider the question of whether Jesus Christ existed to have been finally and conclusively settled in the affirmative. And he was agreeing with that statement. This is a scientist, a science teacher that agreed with the statement that Jesus Christ's existence as a man is in the affirmative. Affirmative. In other words, they accept that. Jesus Christ had to exist as a man in order to fulfill this role of priest, of mediator, the one who stands between us and God and mediates on our behalf. This is requirement one, he met it. Requirement two, in regards to the conditions that were met, is found, as you read on, he says, from among men and is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. And I want to just stop there There are several other uh, phrases throughout this um, passage that deal with this. But the second thought is not only is he um, had to be a man, but he had to be appointed by God. Jesus Christ or any priest in the Old Testament had to be appointed by God in order to be accepted as that mediator, the one who stood in between. You'll see um, if you read when you get home throughout this passage of Scripture, There are are several terms that are used, such as uh, chosen, um, appointed. Uh, Let's see here. Down at the end, it talks about designated. Um, There are several terms that are used throughout this, this passage that are descriptive of Jesus Christ entering into this position of priesthood or mediator. In each one of those cases, it is the passive tense of the verb, which simply means that it is something that has happened to Christ. It is something that has been done to him and not something that has been done by him. In other words, Christ's work as mediator for mankind was something that he was called to, something that he was chosen for, something that he was placed in. We see this throughout the book of John as he talks about coming to do the will of the Father. That when he speaks, he doesn't speak his own words, but he speaks the words of the the Heavenly Father. He He was commissioned. Jesus Christ was commissioned into this world by the Father to carry out this mediation work. He was a man, fully man, and he was commissioned by God. He was given the role and the responsibility by God to be in this high priestly position He says it in our text at verse number five. um, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And this word begotten here, it means the idea of appointing. It means to place in a position and it goes directly, not with Christ's birth, but with Christ's resurrection. It's referring to Christ's resurrection in that in his resurrection, we now have a sufficient mediator. And then he goes on to say, you are a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. These are both quotes from Psalms, and they both are God speaking. God has commissioned Christ to stand in this position, to stand in this role as mediator between God and man to stand on our behalf, to to represent us to God. He has been chosen to represent us to God. And not to represent everybody to God, but to represent those who believe and those who embrace him. And we'll look at that here in a few moments. This representation, all, all men are represented by Adam, and some men are represented by Jesus Christ, The representation of Adam is that of sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all born into that sinful nature that Adam um, accomplished or or did for us. And we're all represented by Christ by, by faith and by obedience. So he was appointed. Listen to this verse in Philippians 2, verse 9 and 10. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. This is the resurrection. Christ Jesus humbled himself, became obedient unto death, took upon himself the form of a man. He became a man. He took upon human form. He says, and God has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all here's what Christ Jesus did. This was his commissioning, his, if you will, his reward for the sacrifice that he made. The result of the sacrifice that he made was that he was made an appropriate mediator for you and for me. He can stand on our behalf in the presence of God and mediate for us. So he meets the first two conditions. They are Was Jesus Christ a man? I believe that the scriptures and history tells us that Jesus Christ was a man. He tells us, number two, was he commissioned by God? Did God commission Jesus Christ to carry out the work of priest? And the answer is yes. We go on down throughout this passage. He says, he was appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with every weakness. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to grow in significance or grow in importance. The second thing that we see that makes Jesus Christ a worthy priest is his character. We have him in his conditions, first of all, and now in his character. The Bible says about the priest in his character is that he was able to deal with With mankind, the Lord points out two different types of sinner in this text. He talks about the ignorant sinner, and he talks about not not just the ignorant, but also the deceived sinner. The, The word that he uses here is the wayward. And the word literally means somebody who has been led away. So both of these are, one has been deceived by the devil, and the other one is somebody who sins because they simply don't know. What's interesting is, is that, we often want to write off the ignorant sins in our life, or the, the sins that we're, where we're led into sin, but the Lord doesn't write those things off, doesn't He? Does He? The Lord doesn't minimize that when we sin accidentally, it's OK. It's not okay to sin accidentally. It's not okay to sin being led astray. It's not okay to sin at all. However, when we do sin accidentally or by being led away or in rebellion, in each one of these cases, Jesus Christ is still the only solution that there is. He is the only one who can restore a relationship with the Father based upon his sacrifice for our sins. In his character, the character of the priest is this, that he was, number one, able to deal gently with the sinners, He was able to deal gently with the sinners. He was able to to deal in a soft way, in a gentle way, in a in a um, understanding way with those who who were sinning. The reason for that is, the Bible says here, because he himself, the priest, from an earthly perspective, was a sinner himself. And therefore, being a sinner himself, he was capable of understanding and sympathizing, if you will, with mankind of whom he was dealing. In other words, when you'd go to a priest in the Old Testament, you didn't go to a perfect man. He was a flawed man. Therefore, he could deal gently with you because of his own flaws. Jesus Christ did not have any flaws. As a matter of fact, if you go back to chapter number 4, it says that he was tempted in every way like we are, yet he never sinned. The issue is, is in the Old Testament, when the priests were brought in to make this sacrifice for sins, and they had to make a sacrifice for their own sins first, they could sympathize with the people, but they could never satisfy the wrath of God for longer than a set period of time. Because they themselves were not capable of being mediators between God and man. In other words, the mediation that men performed in the Old Testament was based solely on God showing grace and mercy to the individual who was mediating. So it wasn't a a just act, it was a merciful act. It was a gracious act. In the New Testament, when Jesus Christ becomes mediator for mankind, it's a gracious and merciful act for mankind, but it is a just act for Jesus Christ to stand in the place of mankind. In other words, the the satisfaction of God's wrath towards sin is not based upon mercy and grace. It's based upon justice as well. Because the satisfaction is built around Jesus Christ fulfilling God's requirements and God's, and God's wrath towards our sins. This is why 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and, and just. There is justice here. That is why the, the, the work of Christ as our mediator is not a temporary work. It doesn't satisfy God for a season. It satisfi- satisfies God forever because it is a just act. In other words, when God's justice is performed on Jesus Christ, it is completely performed on Jesus Christ, and therefore, to be just, it can never be performed again on those who embrace Jesus Christ. It's an act of justice, which makes it, which makes it long-term. How can it be an act of justice? Because Christ Jesus was sinless. He did not commit any sins of his own. He was able to, in his perfection, embrace, bear, Isaiah 53, our sins for us and satisfy God's wrath towards our sins. This is the character of the work of Christ. The character of Christ, he's able to deal sympathetically with us, he's able to deal gently with us, not because he has sins himself, but because he was beset, as was said in the verses before, he was beset with every struggle that we have he was beset with every struggle that we have. He was beset with every temptation that we face, yet he did not sin. He felt the temptation to its core. So the character of Christ, he's able to sympathize with us because he had he experienced human weaknesses. He's able to be gentle with us because he experienced these um, temptations, but yet he himself did not fall Pray to those temptations and sins. So the character of Christ is is sufficient, is appropriate for that of a priest, somebody who mediates on our behalf. The third thought this morning is the class of Jesus. This specifically deals with his work. The Bible says that the priest's main purpose was to act on behalf of men. And this is an important word. It means to act in their place, to act for their benefit. Okay, to, to, to whatever the high priest did, he did it for the benefit or the priest did for the benefit of the people. And in the Old Testament sense, he did it for the benefit of himself. Christ Jesus obviously did it for the benefit of the people. What was the, what was the um, duty of the high priest? It's very simple, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. This was the main responsibility of the priest. He would go in and he would make sacrifices and he would give gifts to God in order to restore some type of a relationship, some type of a favor with God. And this was his main responsibility. This was his main duty. This was his his main role. He made sacrifices for sins on a a regular basis. On a regular basis, most notably, he made sacrifices for sins in the Day of Atonement. Once a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would make a sacrifice for sins that would satisfy the wrath of God for for a year. So the role of the priest was to make sacrifices and give gifts to God for sins. Did Jesus Christ accomplish this task? did Jesus Christ carry out this task? He not only accomplished this task and carried it out, but he did it to an elevated level. This is another statement where Jesus Christ meets the requirements of the priesthood, but also exceeds them. He goes beyond them. Here's what he says um, in verse number uh, one. He says that his, his, his purpose was to work on behalf of men in relation to God, and to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Verse number seven, he says, "For the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death, and he is now, um, and he was heard because of his, because of his reverence." So you have this offering that's being referred to. The priest were to offer sacrifices and gifts to God to satisfy God on behalf of the people. Jesus Christ, as a priest, was also going to offer sacrifices and gifts for our sins. Here's the difference. Jesus Christ offered himself for our sins. Jesus Christ was not only the high priest that came into the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice, for sins the bible says that jesus christ was also the lamb that was placed on the altar and and sacrificed for our sins it was the blood of jesus christ that was sprinkled on the mercy seat to satisfy god's wrath towards mankind's sins so jesus christ uh, the reference here in verse number 7 is to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's, it's very simple. As you see the, the tears the Bible talks about in the Garden of Gethsemane, that he sweat as if, as if it were great drops of blood. His prayers were so intense. The intenseness of the moment was so intense that Jesus Christ uh, was sweating as if it were blood drops. So the reference here is, here is the sacrifice and offerings that the priests made on a regular basis. Here is Jesus Christ. He's making sacrifice and offerings for our sins, but he's not just making sacrifices and offerings for our sins. He is sacrificing himself for our sins. He placed himself on the altar to satisfy God's wrath towards our sins. And when Jesus Christ paid and satisfied God's wrath towards our sins, we see in Hebrews chapter number nine that his blood, his sacrifice was taken up into heaven and it was sprinkled on the mercy seat and it satisfied God's anger towards all, uh, God's anger towards mankind who believed and embraced Jesus Christ. He sacrificed himself, he gave himself up for our sins. And because of this, we have an eternal sacrifice for our sins. Because of this, we have a mediator that is able to stand between us and God and mediate on our behalf in, a, in, in an effective way, in an, in an eternal type of way. So in regards to the class of his work, again, we have this elevation. Sacrifices were made and gifts were given to God in the Old Testament that brought him into favor with his people for a season. There was a gift and a a sacrifice that was made in Christ Jesus that satisfies God's wrath and brings God's people into favor with him, not temporarily, but eternally. It satisfies God's wrath forever. The scripture says here that he was able to give them eternal life, eternal salvation based upon this sacrifice that he made. We have a mediator now that can stand between us and God and who has completely satisfied God and therefore we are in favor with him. If you've ever pictured the scenario of facing God on judgment day and standing there um, in his presence being completely guilty, but having a, a, a mediator or someone that would stand in between you that when he would look to see you, he would see Christ, and therefore there would be mercy, there would be forgiveness based upon the fact that his justice has been satisfied in the person of Christ. And then you are accepted and you are received because what Jesus Christ has done for you, it is the satisfaction of God in Christ that makes us one of his own, that makes us one of his children. So Jesus Christ in his humility, Jesus Christ in his humanity mediated for his people as the son of God, he calls him his son here, which brings an intimacy and relationship. In his humanity, he offered himself as a gift and a sa- and a sacrifice. And as a high priest, he was eternal in his in his mediation. He refers to him at, after the order of Melchizedek, which is um, an Old Testament back in Genesis 14. We are it's hard to stop at this point. <laughs> Without, without stopping for good. All right. All right, you good? I don't think this one's on though. No, I'm good enough. Okay. So while he gets this all worked out, maybe it'll fix itself. So he offers himself for our sins as the eternal mediator for our sins. The last thought this morning is. The last thing that defines Jesus Christ as a worthy high priest is what he conquers or what he con- what uh, conquest he has in relation to um, his priestly work and what did Jesus Christ accomplish in relation to his priestly work? The Bible says Jesus offered prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and the reference here is not that Jesus Christ desired. For God to save him from dying. We know that that was a part of God's uh, eternal plan, God's sovereign plan, through which redemption would come. The prayer that was uh, made here is in reference to the resurrection, that God would not leave Christ Jesus in the grave. The hope that we have in the mediation of Christ is not that we will not die in this life. The hope that we have in the mediation of Christ is that we will rise again from the grave. And Jesus Christ accomplished that in his mediation for us. When he rose again from the dead, John chapter number 6 tells us that his death was our death and his resurrection is our resurrection. The Bible tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then we are all hopeless and our faith is in vain. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he rose from the dead as a mediation for us, as a promise to us that we also will rise from the dead again. We will not stay in the grave, but we will raise from the dead. And the Bible says all of those who believe will rise from the dead into eternal salvation. And those who do not believe will rise from the dead into eternal condemnation. What does Jesus Christ's work accomplish? Well, it accomplishes a resurrection from the grave. His mediation was in his resurrection and in his death. Not only that, but it accomplishes eternal salvation for all those who believe. He says here that he it says that um, he was the source, he became the source of eternal salvation. He became the source of life. He was the source of life. He was the hope of life. Uh, John 1 tells us that he is the light of the world, that when we come to him, we have light and we have life. Jesus Christ is, is a worthy mediator. He's a worthy priest that you can go to and you can find this deliverance and this salvation, not just eternally speaking, but we can find it daily. He also says this at the end of this passage He says he he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. This is not referring to obeying the law of the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments, but referring to obeying the law of the New Testament and obedience to the gospel. The gospel is repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And all of those who embrace that and believe that and obey that, the Bible says they have eternal salvation. The Spirit of God comes to live within them and he sets them free from their sins and sets them free from the wrath of God. So what do we learn in closing? What we learn from this text is just simply threefold. Number one is our problems are mostly spiritual problems. Our problems are mostly spiritual. The Bible says in Isaiah 59, verse 2, that our sins have separated between us and our God most of our problems are spiritual yes they manifest themselves in this world but the reason the world is in the case is in the situation that it's in is because of sin right and our sin has separated between us and our god so most of our problems are spiritual problems most of them are spiritual the only solution to a spiritual problem is that there be a mediator and the only mediator that is worthy of us coming to him and capable of dealing with our spiritual problem is jesus christ he is the only one who has is, who is fulfilled and met all of the requirements, not just to bring temporary satisfaction to the Father, but to bring eternal satisfaction from the Father towards his people. Problems are spiritual. Solution is mediation. Christ is the only mediator. The call for us this morning is to submit and to obey. It is to bow our knee before the it, it, honestly this morning if you're here your call is to bow your knee before the sovereign hand of almighty God it is to rep- it is to recognize who God is it is to realize that you have a problem with him it is to bow your knee to his justice and righteousness and to embrace the the work of Christ in his mediation for your sins this is not something that we do the moment we get saved and stop doing it. It is something that we continue to do every day of our lives. We acknowledge that we have fallen short of the glory of God and we embrace by faith what Jesus Christ has accomplished and continues to accomplish for us in his mediation every day. The Bible says that Christ Jesus is, in, is at the right hand of God even at this moment making intercession for you and for me. Our call this morning is to bow our knee before before a holy God and to accept that his son, Jesus Christ, made a way for us to be in harmony with him. And there is a way. And when we embrace that way, we have everlasting life. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son will not see life but the wrath of God abideth on him. The Bible tells us in Acts 20, 20, and 21, or Acts 20 and 21, to teach, to preach all over the world repentance towards God and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you this morning what are you struggling with? What are you dealing with in your life? What things are going on that are manifesting that you might have something wrong here? Jesus Christ is the only solution that there is. If you go to him, there's a promise, there's a guarantee that he will never fail. He has never failed. He will never leave you nor forsake you, and he will never stop at something he starts. Go to him. Find the one who can mediate sufficiently and bring favor for you with God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. We, Our prayer is that you would help us to see Jesus Christ in the right way, the biblical way, to see him as having met all of those requirements for mediating on our behalf, to seeing his works as being the accomplishment of that mediation and the continued work that he does today mediating for us. And, that we would go to him and embrace him, that you, Lord Jesus, would bring that forgiveness and that help and strength that only you can bring. I pray that you bless us as we go home. Help us to be mindful of these truths and to think and meditate on them. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.